This podcast is brought to you by Rode Microphones, providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com. Hello and welcome to the Soundworks Collection interview series. My name is Michael Coleman and this week we are chatting with the sound team behind Netflix's hit show, Stranger Things, directed by the Duffer Brothers. Joining us today are re-recording mixer, Adam Jenkins, re-recording mixer, Joe Barnett, sound designer, Craig Hennigan, and supervising sound editor, Brad North. Thanks guys for Thank coming you, in here. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Craig, I'll start with you. I think you were the first link uh, to get involved on this project. How did you first find out about it? How did you get involved? Um, I got a, a call from um, Rand Geiger, who's uh, Sean Levy's, one of Sean Levy's uh, protégés, uh, up-and-coming producer, and um, about a year ago, maybe. And, uh, you know, we are rapping about a few things, and he actually called me um, about these guys, actually. And he was like, do you know Joe Barnett and Adam Jenkins? I never met Adam, but Joe and I had worked peripherally like maybe in 2007 so I was like yeah I know Joe and and I think he might have mentioned Brad but I'm not sure if, if that whole team if you guys are all set up yet together at the end of the conversation he's like oh would you be available maybe and interested and I was like sure and talked a little bit more about the the project and um the deal I kind of made or, or we made together was I did about three weeks early on while be even before they even started shooting uh and then I did about eight or nine ten weeks during the actual mixing, when they were mixing, and, and basically the way the eight episodes had to sort of stack up. Um, so I kind of went down and I met um, the Duffer brothers, Matt and Ross, and uh, hit it off, talked a lot about different types of movies and stuff. And then out of that, I saw some um, concept, like conceptual art, you mm-hmm. know, so a few, few ideas. Uh, I read the script for episode one and uh, just took it upon myself in my free time just to make a few ideas and stuff. And as they were shooting, I sent them, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 sort of MP3s of different ideas. Um, the monster that's in the in the, in the the series was actually referred to as the entity. Mm-hmm. Um, so early ideas were just like, it's not really a monster. What else can we make and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, I don't know, maybe late October or so, I got the first chunk of the first episode. So the actual whole opening sequence, um, you know, when the guy runs down the hallway and into the elevator, uh, basically right up until the Stranger Things sort of logo. And uh, and I guess really fortuitous was that actually encompassed so much of the actual tone of what the show was going to be over the course of the eight episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything from like electrical ideas and drones and, and stuff like that to the entity, um, to the sparseness of the track in terms of like um, how the music was going to play, the type of music, the synth stuff mm-hmm. that um, uh, Kyle and Michael ended up doing. Um, so that's kind of, you know, kind of where I kind of got into it. And then from that point on, they would just send me little, little clips. Um, Dean Zimmerman and, and uh, Kevin, Kevin Ross, is that the last mm-hmm. name? Kevin Ross. Kevin Ross, the two picture editors. And they would send me, you know, little clips here and there of, of certain sequences. And then I also gave them all my sort of things that I had been making for the show specific and stuff. So their assistant editors, uh, Kat and Nate, or Nat, um, they ended up um, cutting a lot of my stuff in. Um, so basically the Avid was sort of full of 
sort of those ideas and they sort of did their own thing to them and stuff and would use some of my sounds in interesting ways or different ways. And that's kind of how the sort of track sort of started, mm -hmm. but it's really the duff, the Duffers. It's really about what they kind of, how they kind of saw it and how they felt about what the sound should be doing and all that kind of stuff. And it just gave, they gave me a lot of room sound design wise to, to really go for it. So, what do you, what do you guys remember early conversations, pre-production stage of kind of like, you're talking about the tone, the feel. Well, the, yeah. just backing up one second, let me just, I got to point out how unusual it is in our world to have that kind of involvement mm -hmm. so early on in the right. process in features. It happens yeah. in broadcast. It really doesn't much. I mean, you get some of that when the, when the show goes season to season, then you have that sort yeah. of that sonic lexicon that that's already yeah. established. Sure, sure. But in a new show, to have you know yeah. somebody come on and do design before it, anything's even shot—that's shot, yeah. very very unusual, and yeah. it's an absolute major luxury. Who was right? driving that? Do you think? I think it was honestly it was Rand and I because that's what we do on Sean's movies. Mm -hmm. We we sort of start early and uh, while they're shooting and, and you know while they're getting ready to shoot any sort of ideas. We did it on on um, probably one of the biggest ones we did it with Sean was Real Steel. That was like you know eight nine different robot fights and stuff. So big it was a lot of really. collecting. It was big effects and you know when you when you start getting directors and, and producers and and those kind of guys thinking about that stuff early, then sound actually has half a chance to mm -hmm. to make a difference. And now it's to the point where Dean um, will just send me ideas before he's even sort of finished a cut and go, can you help me here? Can you, can sound help here? And then, and then actually sound sometimes takes, sort of takes over and says, oh no, we can do this sonically. So we give it an extra beat or all those kind of stuff, you know? And I think that just mm -hmm. trickles down into, into this relationship and and you know and then Rand went back to netflix and said on top of this crew brad's brad's guys and and what adam and and mm -hmm. joe are doing we want the sound designer guy to sort of do stuff as well and and this is why another kind of huge stuff. luxury yeah. to have massive a, and then um, that's a sound you know, designer I mean, come out of the other budget not yeah. the traditional sound budget yeah. and yeah. it was good to have the uh the picture department having craig's material early yeah. mm -hmm. because there was like all of these things a bunch of temp love they were in love with their track that they brought to the stage and wanted us to use that as a roadmap. when we had the material that we were going to use in the final mix in the temp track, it was a lot easier for us to, we like to keep as close to their track, which they're in love with as we can, but we know we can improve upon it. And when we can improve upon it by using the same material that they're used to hearing, it makes our job easier because uh, um, some of the stuff they have, uh, the ideas are sketched out well, but they can be done better. And Craig is also further down the road. Uh, Jordan, who was working with us on sound effects, was, you know, had a hand in, uh, Jordan will be in a lot of this stuff. And to have their sketch and to be able to fill it out, you know, here on the stage, editorially and mix-wise, um, it, it was great to be able to do and easier to do if the people in the back row were familiar with the material yeah. that we were filling out their sketch with. Yeah, it's it's not unusual at all for a uh, director team, producer team to to really have a, a connection with their their temp track. 
And that's fine, but it's really, really beneficial for us if the elements that comprise that temp track are of a very high quality. I've never heard that before. This is the first time I've I've scared. (laughs) (laughs) Temp love is fine if what you're falling in love with is great. You know what I'm trying to say? That's that's the challenge. That's the challenge of the early stages of it is the challenge to make sure the material you're giving them or using is good good quality stuff. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys describe just the workflow of working on a, a, a project like this where it's going to come out, it's going to come out all at once and, and there's a rolling, I imagine, production timeline too. How do you guys manage that? Maybe you could answer that. Um, well, you know, we, we go chronologically, um, but as we cut some stuff and, and we got pretty far ahead of the game editorial wise, I mean, Craig kind of led that. Um, we started working on the show probably a month or so, uh, full editorial and, and foley and stuff before we started turning over to these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got way ahead of it. That helped out because once we started mixing, we were mixing pretty much nonstop. We had one little break in the middle, which we needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we started way, way ahead and we started with one, went through eight, um, and we had to try to pace ourselves because some of the shows were busier than others. So you have to you know, try to figure out the timelines there. Um, but it, it was honestly all about getting ahead of everything. Mm-hmm. Craig included getting editorial way ahead. And then once we started mixing. Well, didn't you say that dialogue editorial was basically done before I even started for the yeah. entire series? I mean, that's yeah. how, how were the production tracks? What did you great. find? It yeah. was actually great. Um, yeah, the, the, the quality was good. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing too far out of the ordinary, you know, noise-wise or clunk-wise or anything like that. Our, honestly, our my biggest concern about the production was just like the kids overlapping and stuff. Sure. So we could hear what they're saying. Honest, and that's that's not really that much of a problem, um, you know, that they wanted to have that kind of busyness to it. Was this uh, a single camera show or multi, do you know? I think there it was mainly, it was a shot single camera style, but there was always another camera rolling. Okay. Yeah. Did, were there edit changes throughout production? Did you get? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right. all the time. What was happening? Well, I mean, with the visual effects, I it's imagine? It's mainly visual effects okay. is, is, is what's driving that. Because, because the lead-in was so long up to it, they had a pretty good idea of how they wanted to tell the story editorially. And you guys are also saying, obviously, like Netflix, they would have liked probably for you guys to lock everything, ship it to them, a final thing to be broadcast weeks and weeks and months before. But the case is that they can be very close to the release True. date. I think everybody yeah. was was really excited about this project from both our end and also the Netflix end. The uh, uh, even watching the first rough cut, I was like, "Oh my God, this is this is not TV. This is this is something different." And uh, because of that, they realized that they had an opportunity here to to make something great, drop it on the world on July fifteenth, mm-hmm. and and it's gotten a huge huge response. IMDb yeah. says it's the most popular show in the country right now, yeah. and I know everybody that I talk to is just loves it yeah. just the most extraordinary response i've ever seen yeah so uh, to your knowledge the show is always kind of set in this 80s kind of vibe, oh, obviously yeah. how it's shot so when you think about sonically how you represent that what were so i mean there's authentic i guess sounds of the 80s and there's walkie talkies and bikes and sirens sirens, sirens yeah and 
What other considerations were you guys thinking? I think so. Go ahead. Whether there there were things that Brad was researching as to whether <laughs> they were back still on old rotary phones, right. and there were things where you'd <laughs> yeah. see someone start to dial a rotary phone, yeah. and they'd cut away instantly because you yeah. weren't going to sit there and watch them dial. Yeah, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And we ran into things like, did they dial nine one one back then? Did they? <laughs> you don't you know, there, there were certain anachronistic things that I'm sure if you troll the internet, the yeah. people have picked up on all of them. But yeah. no, the songs they used were all from the period the the uh the sounds you know the um the the bikes that the kids rode around on uh um there were very few things that we took license with in saying that well it doesn't let's use a a more updated sound or something we tried to hew very close to what things would have sounded like then we didn't care about analog versus digital or anything mm -hmm. like that but uh but staying true to the period was for the duffer brothers and for us and getting the feeling of being in rural america um and because everybody was isolated and uh, the cars were clunky the you know everything had kind of a rough edge to it there was nothing that was too polished and uh and that came across well both in the picture and in the sound it's something that kind of unravels as you start getting deeper into the show was is that it's not just this one level of a world. There's two sides to this. And how, can you guys describe sonically how you guys came up with what you did of representing? I mean, visually, it kind of looks like this gooey slime mess of, a, of an organism, but... Visually, they described it to us as that it was the same world that we inhabit now, but it was decaying. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of uh, background-wise. There was nothing that was played normally when we were in the upside down, you know, right. uh, uh, um, the backgrounds were all treated. Craig provided with us a bunch of stuff that was all started out as a natural recording of maybe, uh, uh, you know, tree branch creeks and wind in the woods and things like things that had uh, movement and tonality to them and then were treated in a way that as soon as you're in that environment, not only visually did it look like a different world, it sounded like a different world. Yeah. The, the, the coolest sound to me one of the coolest sounds there's so many is is when uh will is in the uh the uh the shed at the end mm -hmm. and he's taken and then all of a sudden you hear these these backgrounds that we've been treated you know the bugs in the airs and stuff all of a sudden they just change you know the pitch changes on it it's just so subtle and so tasty i it, right then you knew Oh, this is this is different some some wacky's going on and here. it's also stylistically how it's sh shooting they're really messing with the audience and getting quiet. So, how, yeah, how did those discussions happen? Was that stuff that they're writing into script or? I think it's there. I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff that from a sound designer's perspective, it's you riff off of kind of what you're seeing and kind of what what is sort of presented to you and then just discussions and, you know, thinking of you know movies and stuff from from that era you know i, I mean i i love i love the thing growing up mm. you know the remake yeah. you know 1982 or whenever like first came out and it's quiet it was like quiet and it's winds and it's the absence of sound it's sort of like it's kind of a simple track but a really effective sort of deal so i think a lot of my stuff just kind of came born out of that sort of idea of like how to how to get to the point, tell the story and and make it creepy, but still have a sort of a retro vibe, you know, a little bit with the monster, mm. you know, and the monster is basically, you know, it's a half guy in a suit and half visual effects. <laughs> so for me, exploring how to figure out what kind of vocal he should have, how often he should sort of say something or 
sort of try to be telling the audience something or creeping around was was sort of a trial and error initially of trying to figure out you know recording my voice you know figuring out other ideas of, of stuff i've recorded you know and see what could fit and not fit but then looking at it looking back at it as an audience member and saying okay well that might be a really awesome sound but it doesn't actually fit this um so that was kind of a early idea of I think too is that they're, they're not showing the monster visually you don't, you don't see him you hear him it's Joss mm-hmm. yeah that, and again you know mm-hmm. I mean there's so many touchstones these guys are into and, and mm-hmm. love and and pay homage to but sort of wrap them all up and do their own thing with it it's not it never feels like it's forced but Jaws is another one you know that you never saw the shark yeah. shark didn't really work was the main reason why he didn't say right, right. thank god it didn't work right, <laughs> right. Part, exactly thank god right? a little yeah. mystery to what the danger yeah. is always helps yeah. mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. movies you see where they reveal the monster or the villain instantly uh, or you know early on takes a little bit of the mystery that helps you know make the horror yeah yeah and something in the underworld is um the idea that the voices are kind of the thing that carries through, yeah. communicate between the yeah. characters. And that was kind of with the wall the first time. Right. What did you guys find was the right treatment? What was kind of that chain? What did that look like? That How you want to show it? The, Joe's uh, dialogue awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like you were saying before, establishing the, the two different worlds. Yeah. You know, that first of all, that was, you know, the the, the regular world is, is treated basically naturally, very uh, conscious about being period specific. And then Adam already told you about the the nether region, which was the decaying world. But to me, the interesting part was when the two worlds impinged upon each other. And so when the monster, you know, uh, w- would would come around, that's why the lights would change, and they had a very yeah, cool, cool sound. And stuff, and yeah. when Eleven started using powers from the Nether to change her world, you, you heard the radios go crazy. And and likewise, once Will was in the Nether and and uh, he was trying to affect their world, you know, we had to make it sound make it sound human, audible to a degree. But uh, it had to be different. And usually there was other stuff, you know, competing with it sonically, either music or other sound design. And so it was it was really tough. I ended up using a lot of, of, of believe it or not, spring reverbs to, uh, to to make that kind of decaying kind of repeating sound, you know, with, you know, setting the feedback so it's adjusted so that it uh, that it has the right number of repeats, that kind of thing. And then and then modulate that. So it was a it was a combination of techniques. Yeah. What was the spotting like for music? How did that get determined? How early did you guys know where your holes would be? Well, we we did music and sound together at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Um, well, it was it was always cool to actually do it with the music guys. They weren't in in the room with us. So Where were some, they? They were in Austin, and uh, we basically I chatted them. <laughs> so it became difficult communication wise because like it we would have to basically stop and say, "Hey, you guys, here's a note." Um, the, the duffers would give them the note, uh, but it was it was good for me and Craig to be there uh, because then we knew like okay this is the intention of this scene it you know it needs music yeah. needs to drive this or or we need to drive it on the sound side um, so that's that's really beneficial yeah. um, to be able to spot with music yeah. um, and you know the the music guys gave them stuff fairly early they the, did the same, same way thing. that Craig yeah, did that, that so, was another huge benefit yeah right? so the the language was already established so yeah. once we were like really into the the yeah. season 
we all spoke the same language yeah. and, and hey, do that thing that we did in episode one or that mm-hmm. thing that we've been testing. And, yeah. and they could also listen to us, you know, Craig talking about yeah. he, he'll, he's going to cover this big thing or whatever. So it, it ended up being a good, a good thing to, good. to spot with the music guys. What were the deliverables? Was it stereo, stems? What, how much control did you guys have? On the stage, on the music side, yeah, uh, it was all stereo. Okay. And uh, <laughs> the the thing about Survive is that they um, they are authentically a a analog synth kind of organization. I like it's and, like Daft Punk. You don't really know who they are. It's just like, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, a lot of times, I got one stereo track, sometimes two, and that would be it. And yeah. uh, and because a lot of it was because they they used all these. these it's all baked in. It's all baked in because yeah. these yeah. these, these uh, uh, analog synths they could you couldn't punch into it, you know, because right. the the, the, Just the, the way. It, it's it's uh, it's it's a one time kind of thing. It's all live being played, and so the, so they would make something out. And we actually had a time where we where the Duffers wanted to remove one element out of a mix, and it was a pain in the butt to do. Well, we had to like do? reverse engineer it yeah. to, to, to make it happen. Cool. And uh, but uh, as a, the uh, the season progressed, there were times when we got full splits on things so we can control stuff. But uh, for the most part, it was one or two stereo tracks only. And then it, we just uh, put a new gen on it and yeah. spread it around. So talking about spreading it out, I mean, you're mixing it in a 5-1 world because it is going to Netflix, which is, you know, they, they support that. So yeah. And also what we were saying before we started recording is like this is being treated as, you know, TV is whatever. It's just a label. It's just one way, a place that people watch it. So but the style and the attention to detail is no different than what feature films necessarily was, are doing. They, from the very beginning, they said they wanted a cinematic experience. Yeah. They wanted to go big. Yeah. We never played it on smalls. It's only on the mains in the theater where we're sitting in right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we love that. So when you're at home and you're watching it, everybody, play it loud. <laughs> <laughs> and Hit 5-1. Yeah, how did you guys find, you ended up using the surrounds. What did you put in those back oh, channels? I, I did a lot. Oh, yeah. Free and then Adam. Yeah, Every no, it's, uh, it's an atmospheric feeling movie. And the 5-1 using the surrounds uh, for both music and not only, uh, you know, the sound effects, but the the atmospheres and things is um, everybody in the room was a big fan of using them, of not being. We had a famous quote from one of our picture editors about not being afraid of the subwoofer. <laughs> and uh, uh, they, they wanted impact on things and uh, using all the speakers in the room to not only get the impact, but... Uh, at times when we were quiet to just surround the audience with the atmospheres, whether we're outside and it's we're in the woods and surrounded by crickets and bugs and mm-hmm. and uh, wind through the trees around us and things like that. And also using the, you know, the surrounds and things. There were times when the monster was out there, but we didn't know where. And just you're watching the actors turn their heads to the left or to the right or the camera whip pans. Mm-hmm. And we can use, you know, plain things only in the surrounds or whatever to directionalize that for the audience. The camera's gonna whip around to the left in the back and that's where the sound comes from. And uh, there were a number of times when you just see the, you know, a flashing image of the monster in the woods or something like that, where there's nothing specific other than the sound to take your, your, you know, your ear and your eye, you know, towards whatever the danger is. And uh, um, it, it's translated very well, listening to it uh, at home in a 5-1 atmosphere, it's, it, it translates very well. We're real happy with the fact that we did it here on the stage 
and it sounded great here and we you know what is presented by Netflix streaming is very representative of what we did here so we're happy with how it came out but, uh, yeah, yeah the duffers were were um, they really really wanted us to just be creative mm -hmm. and just do our thing and you know I even tried to push the envelope with them like like doing some crazy panning on dialogue and every time I did something that was like okay this might get pulled back I might have gone a little too far they're like woo awesome so uh, we took that as our cue to just go even farther with it so so things that we would never get away with for regular broadcast they they were completely embraced it so as far as dynamics getting quiet and then smacking you over the head with something they loved it. And we even developed our own term for, mm -hmm. for uh, smash cuts. We called it toasterizing a cut because there's a scene in the first or second episode where the first, first episode where, where Hopper drives his, his uh, truck away and then you smack into breakfast the next morning on that toaster. And that toaster might have been the loudest sound that you'll ever hear <laughs> broadcast or streamed anywhere. And uh, and so that, that sort of became a touchstone for us. So we kept on talking about toasterizing cuts. Talk to me about the, just the the standards for TV. It's very different than the 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 levels that theatricals are used to. What considerations you take in? It's not terribly different as far as what we can get away with uh, um, in uh, transient, you know, sounds and things like that. Mm -hmm. We're still pushing right up. Uh, you know, we're only limiting ourselves in coming, you know, back 0.2 dB from you know from clipping from 11 or whatever from 11 well, and uh minus two yeah minus, minus yeah, two yeah, db yes, full scale yes, yes. as opposed to a feature which would be full scale so. and but we're very close to that there's not a whole lot of things that we'd say okay we're too loud that doesn't work it, we we could basically do anything uh that we're preparing for broadcast for netflix mm -hmm. except for just overall loudness of the the episodes are you, you know, guys also, are you guys also doing your fold downs the stereo here is yes. that all happening yeah yeah they've got specific requirements that are you know pretty standard for netflix which are uh it's it's uh minus 24 db uh, uh lkfs mm -hmm. but that's uh, uh relative to the overall mix the 1770.2 mm -hmm. not the not the dialogue specific spec so because of that so it, it it takes the sort of the overall energy of the mix and and sort of does your calculation on it. I'm just curious. I'm I, like, I've never had a chance to ask people what, what we're hearing because honestly, I think most people are on earbuds or on a sound bar or on a TV or and That's depressing. I know. Thanks, uh, no, 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 no. But, but, but I'm just, this is a good opportunity for people to know, hey, there's more to, more to discover. Uh, with that being said, talk to me about the 11 character. How did you guys establish this kind of a, the superpower, which is kind of represented sonically? How did, how did you guys figure that one out? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. I just sort of tried a few things, you know, and, and, you know, initially I, I, I didn't get to read all the scripts, so I didn't really know where the show was going initially. Um, so it kind of, it was kind of difficult on some levels to sort of like not back myself into a corner. Um, but, uh, it was, um, you know, initially I guess it was, she's telekinetic. She's got some sort of power some sort of deal and uh you know it was just based out of um giving her some sort of low to mid-low sort of powers um some energy type ideas um i didn't want it to be i don't know i didn't want it to be too high-end and too shrieky because that's kind of where 
you know, the entity was going to sort of end up and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, and she visually, man, she's a badass, you know, and, and, and just some levels just kind of playing it down, you know, and, and these guys did a great job mixing it, not overt all the time, even though I would sort of like, she would, you know, her powers would be pulsing or doing whatever for long periods of time, you know, in the mix, they got it. So it's just where it needed to sort of be, you know, the fan in episode one, she shuts off this fan. That was kind of one of the first ones that I kind of like, well, you know, what could I do here? And then I didn't want to get into the superhero world, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of that sort of stuff has to sort of be in there from a fun factor sort mm -hmm. of thing and storytelling, like what is this girl doing? Um, you know, but it was kind of like this balancing act of figuring out what, what would work. And then the payoff really came down at the end where it was this super painful screeching high end sort of like energy. And that, that kind of came about sort of halfway through my editorial phase because Dean, I think had sent me that ending sequence and was like, you need, I need you to help me here, man. Cause <laughs> right. sonically, you know, the monsters are pinned up against the wall. There's really not a lot, you know, and she's walking towards him and, you know, and we're thinking maybe we won't do it with all music. What can we do sonically, you know, with sound design to sort of figure that out. And, and so I kind of came up with that sort of long scream. And there's another time where I actually took her production sound of screaming and I just sort of looped it and stretched it and did some other things to it. And that kind of becomes sort of core elements of, of sort of her sort of powers, you know. Did you guys have time to do any record trips? Is there any opportunity, any need? Just me. Well, I mean, you know, initially there was initial ideas of, of what am I going to use for the monster? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times I try to put, I'll try to put sort of rules on myself and like, you know, I don't want to use this. I don't want to use that. And, mm -hmm. and man, I did some awful stuff initially. I mean, I had my <laughs> own voice and I was like, what am I going to do? And, you know, um, did some recording, just sort of mostly little things around the house. You can get a lot of mileage out of like creeks. And I did some dry ice recordings, which, you know, but I didn't want to use pigs. I didn't want to use cats. I didn't want to use leopards. I didn't want to use cappuccino machines, mm. you know, all the stuff that they, you know, all the ones that they've done, even though that might be appropriate because a lot of those movies, the Duffers really love what they did with Alien and the cappuccino yeah, makers yeah, yeah. and stuff, you know, but it was sort of taking those sort of ideas and then figuring out what you know what i could do with it and nowadays there's so many boutique libraries out there of, of stuff that you would never ever get your hands on and in a schedule like this where you know i'm yeah i could try to go get some yeah, animals yeah, sure, but sure. are they going to work or they're not going to work so i ended up um really great uh designer uh recordist tim preble who mm -hmm. uh, um hiss and roar mm -hmm. And I'd bought the C library like three or four years ago and I never used it for anything. So I just started perusing through that and I found one little sound that I thought was something I could base the entity off for like round four of the entity so I can get rid of my own vocalizations. And he kind of just did something that was sort of predator-ish and sort of, you know, in that neighborhood. And I can kind of, you know, use flesh and goo and some other sounds I had sort of recorded to sort of wrap that sort of vocal around. But that really became sort of his sort of signature vocal, especially initially in the first few episodes where he was just kind of creeping around. He creeping through the door or the really cool one I feel, think is really cool is in the phone because hmm. it's kind of a combo of Will and, and what Joe did and, and sort of some of the entity stuff that I did. And that kind of really set like, oh, 
yeah, fuck, that's actually a really interesting mm-hmm. way to sort of, you know, do something. So, so initially the recordings were really just me trying to, you know, do some dry ice stuff and, and I have this really great door that's like, it's a slider, but it's got like this rubber on it and it's mm-hmm. dry. So if you slow it down, it kind of gives you this weird pain sort of thing. And that actually sound is in later on. And, mm-hmm. and when I guess it gets lit on fire in episode mm-hmm. seven or eight or something. Mm-hmm. So there's elements of that, but, um, you know, but yeah, did I have a budget to go out and record as many things as I could? No. The other part of that is you could go record a ton of stuff, but do you have the time to explore? Yeah. You know, I mean, I had to just time versus what is the triangle? Time versus money, time. Yeah, you right. know, it's just, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I, thankfully some of the stuff I did early on, they really liked, you know, um, monster wise. So then I spent more time sort of on the electrical ideas, you know, and, and, uh, and I have this really great battery charger that's got like a two amp, a 12 amp and a 50 amp sort of switch. And that actually, you hear that actually in the hallway at the beginning and it's just Mondo modded and, and done some other stuff to it. And it's kind of got this fluttering and that became sort of, you know, a lot of good sort of mind of those sort of sounds, you know, and then some buzzes and some guitar pickup buzzing and, you know. All right, yeah, I gotta give it up. What was the Christmas light sound? The Christmas light sounds are actually a bit of the battery charger, um, but then filaments, like I smashed the bulb and then just would actually hit them a little bit. And And the filaments had a tremendous amount of character to them. In the one scene where, the lights are going around the room right. in quickly panning around the room or whatever. And you can hear each one as it goes has its own character to it. Same thing when when Joyce is getting the message from her son and the light bulbs mm-hmm. are going on one at a time telling her what the letters are and things. Each It's not just tink, tink. Tink, tink, tink. Each one, it's it's like a keyboard being yeah, played. There's tones underneath. It, I'm not sure. Did Brad? Did you guys add anything to those as well and stuff? Uh, we we filled yeah. out some stuff and right. kind of moved some elements some to fill it out. But right. we, it's all yeah, the same. Like the same. Uh, but they had real character, and they yeah. they were a, they were an interesting sound yeah. that it wasn't like oh I've heard this before. Yeah. And it's exactly. a very simple thing. It's a light was, turning on and off. It was yeah. So they were just that and just pitched and reversed and <laughs> cut in half and then stretched. And then because of the idea was, especially the one of him turning around, I spent a lot of time when she's spinning around and stuff just to make that somewhat musical and rhythmical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, when Joyce is watching them to have, there's a, it's kind of like close encounters in some levels. I mean, there's For all sure. these sort of like subtext You can't ideas, get away of anything you know, that you know hasn't been done before. You know, the association. But you just try to do yeah. it in a unique way, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in a way that, you know, you think is going to work. And, it, you know, thankfully, it's just the marriage of sound design and music in this show mm-hmm. really allowed sound design to sort of play. And 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 these guys played it. And then the Duffers loved it. And that's kind of what you hear. And then, you know, when people email me about those lights and stuff, I mean, they are an incredibly simple Craig's sound. Craig's email addresses. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I have. I've had a couple. He's, of the, he's the light it's dude. It's the light guy. But they're simple stuff. Yeah. But Very simple. releasing his own library called right, Christmas Lights. Right, but just lights. Christmas Lights only. <laughs> yeah. My wife is going to kill me for all the smash lights I have. But, uh, but, you know, sometimes the simplest things, when they're presented in a, in a, a sort of different way. Super eerie. Kind of, you know, yeah. Yeah. My my favorite sound effect in the whole show, and it's not even the big creature stuff. It's not that stuff. It was the lights, but it was the lights when um, Will was basically telling Joyce to go down the hallway. Right. Like there were little yeah. 
pingier. There's tones. And there was tones. Yes. And the yeah. music was, yeah. was sitting in yeah. there nicely. Like, yeah. that is one of the yeah. sweetest spots mm-hmm. that we hit. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, it was just like. That's cool. It just and had they, that moment of like, where she was scared, but Will was like trying to yeah. guide her. And so like these little lights just yeah. played. It was, it was yeah. really incredible. And, you know, it, honestly, it, it goes down to the duffers of, of setting that whole thing up. Yeah. We, you know, we just follow their lead. Yeah. Like that was, that's just sweet right there. Yeah. And they come to the stage or they, from long before that, they come to their story and script with sound in mind. Yeah. which is a great way to enter into it for us because not everybody does. You know, everybody will, there are a a great deal of people come into it with a musical thought in mind for a scene, but not a a sound effects, this is what we'd like here. And they would tell us, oh no, we write right into the script, boing, bang, you know. Stings, they love stings. Yes. So many stings, I must have made so many stings. Well, we toaster the (laughs) cut. And and it did get to the point where it's like, we're not going to hit this cut too, are we? (laughs) But the, well, the picture called for. And that's the one thing that we have to follow is if the picture says do it, generally you you have to do it because it's it's yeah. cut that way it's not just oh well we put the middle of a car by on the cut coming out of total silence right. or just it's they're doing it for a reason and sound follows the picture that way and not in a gratuitous way it's it works you know the 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 picture calls for it so and for us as sound people it's a fun way to work yeah. look i mean now season one is complete Looking back on it, I mean, not that you would want to do anything differently, but what what worked really well? What was it about this group of this crew here that like could make this all possible? I mean, besides having the marching orders from the brothers to do what you guys did. I think the uh, for me anyway, uh, it's great to work with these guys specifically because every single person here is intensely creative and uh, really 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 strives to tell the story the best possible way and that doesn't always mean throw everything at it sometimes that means go silent take things away be very judicious and uh that's exciting when you come to work and saying oh my god this is going to be a great day we're going to make something sound so darn good you know (laughs) and uh because you know not every day is like that in the rest of the world right Right. sometimes you're digging ditches so uh it was never that way it was always very exciting to come and the best part about it was when the duffers came to to listen to their reaction you know we would play back and we just like watch them they were like little kids on this stage it was great they were so into it yeah it was uh it was always a creative environment always collaborative yeah and collaborative uh I like working with crews that they, no egos. You check your ego at the door, and mm-hmm. you can kind of create something together. Um, I, I love working with that type of team, and we had that. So you have you get a special track out of it. Um, you do, and it was not an easy show. It, we left dragging on a lot of nights. We locked, yeah. you know, worked a lot of hours on it. And I can just remember saying to somebody, yeah, it's, you know, it's going great, but it's kicking my ass because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of sound coming at you all day long and uh, it, it can be fatiguing, but everybody around you was up for it and in a great mood. And today we're going to get to do this. And uh, it, it, uh, it was hard, but it was very rewarding because it, yeah. it came out very well. Is, is there a an average amount of time that each episode would kind of you guys would have with (laughs) i would say that's the biggest challenge we had really uh because 
you know, everybody had a certain expectation of what the quality level would be, it, and it was absolutely sky high. And so the, you know, the first two episodes, we had nine days basically to do two episodes, which is a very generous schedule in this world. And then after that, uh, <laughs> they were like, well, you know, Sean Levy is going to, he's directing episode three and four and he needs to leave town. So we need to make it ready for him by this time. And it was like three days away, you know, right. we have to have. You know, and it was just not possible <laughs> to 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 get it there. And so uh, so Brad and his team worked miracles and got Sean a couple of days later. And we basically worked double shifts to get it done. But I'd say for next season, when there's a next season, knock on for Micah mm -hmm. is uh, uh, to, to have it scheduled so, the, so that we actually get four and a half days per episode. We can you all know, dream. Hero. I know, I know. <laughs> I can dream, right? We can hope for time. Yeah, money. exactly. <laughs> How do you guys plan for, you know, I mean, you've, you've established a tone or kind of a style guide. Now, obviously not knowing anything about what's to come in the future, but, you know, how much input do you think you will have when it comes to those early pre-production conversations like how how early is early let's just say it's going to happen next year are you guys going to be talking about this in 2016 i mean what yeah i think so i don't know i, I think so Pro probably <laughs> we probably will um if if I this mean, does all happen you know I, i'm gonna go through the uh season one stuff and kind of make a best of and and try to help out with um getting us to a a good spot and yeah. at the beginning of season two because we're going to create some yeah. probably some new stuff yeah. in season two and there'll yeah. probably be some more stuff in season two i love i love the, the ambiguity of it and uh you, you mean it's not just going to be sitting around the kitchen table with Ted? <laughs> right <laughs> what i do what i do <laughs> um no so you know we can do some stuff uh once it's you know official that season two is going to roll um then you know we can we can get some stuff going but not really yeah not, not too not, picture not too f well until we get scripts or get some yeah, ideas yeah i mean i from, might get a phone call out of the blue just yeah to, from know, the from the duffers they'll that. they'll have some ideas yeah. of, of what we're going to need to uh get ready and then hopefully craig yeah. will be uh will be feeding us yeah, some more amazing sound design and sound effects so and we'll probably i think we'll probably do if i if I can get it arranged, I'd like to do a round table with the guys and just, you know, like a postmortem, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. of like what really, what, what, what worked, what didn't. These guys are, they're really responsive to sound, you know, and they really care and, and, you know, it's, it's, yeah. so let's talk about it. What yeah. worked really well, what didn't work and, and what do we need to improve on and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of it is mixed time, you know, and visual effects, you know, and, and when are we getting them? There's a lot of times I was cutting stuff I didn't see. And it's like, sure. well, yeah, it's just going to be this. And we were and mixing things that we didn't, we didn't see. see. Yeah. You know, and, and, the uh, the and, last scene of Eleven attacking the monster, yeah. it, it was not very exciting. It was just Eleven yelling at a blackboard. That well, that's what I, exactly. Yeah. That's, so, yeah. All right, so the last question is, how do you handle a kid with a lisp? <laughs> uh, great. He, Come he, on, man. Great. He That's honestly great. wasn't that bad. Yeah. You want to know what was the biggest part about that was his voice was changing more than the boys. Yeah. Oh, was it? Boys. Yeah. yeah. So, so when when I had to pull him in for ADR, um, I had to keep telling him, and I felt bad because he, you know, he's just growing up. So, yeah, yeah. But I just like try to keep the tone up, <laughs> and you know, he kind of. I want to be a man. Yeah. He's like, 
he's like, I know my voice has changed. I'm like, that's cool. Just, you know, try to keep the tone up a little bit. Um, so some of the loops we had to, we had to pitch a little bit. Um, his lisp was, was not a problem whatsoever. <laughs> the way he spoke was not right. a problem. It was his voice changing, not only from like episode one to episode eight, but obviously after they shot it to where, you know, I could get him and then right. mix it. Yeah. His voice had changed. We're, we're going to see these guys grow up together. It's like the wonder years. Yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> and, and, um, you know, they, they're going to take that, that idea um, if there is a season two, it's going to be a little bit later because the boys have to grow up a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. To, to give them that space, you can't pick up right where you just dropped off. Breaking news here, ladies and gentlemen, Brad North. <laughs> no, they, they, you know, you can't just pick up where they were because they are they're growing up. Yeah, right, yeah. right now, but so. uh, Dustin's lisp is actually part of his character. No, right? for sure. So to try and edit it out, if we would do the the show yeah. with the service, so we would never do that. So obviously we. To answer your question, you ha you have to carve a little, you know, to to make sure that he's clear. And uh, but but again, it was never a problem. The, the show was extremely well recorded. Very cool. Well, Adam Jenkins, Joe Barnett, Craig Hennigan, and Brad North, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk about Stranger Things. Looking forward to hopefully talk about season two if there is a season two. Us too. Great. Right on. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> thank Thanks, you, thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and listening to my chat with the sound team of Stranger Things. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rode Microphones, for sponsoring this podcast series, providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit road.com. <laughs>